TVT was unique. Every other independent label before TVT was really based on a founder's own familiarity with a certain genre of music, or maybe they had one star and that star attracted a bunch of other similar artists. And then those artists had to compete within that genre with the major star. Since TVT was always very much a strategic label, we sought to find stars that defined a genre. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Steve Gottlieb is founder and CEO of Shindig, a platform for online video chat events. Prior to Shindig, Gottlieb founded the independent record label TVT Records and its publishing arm, TVT Music. He's a legend in the music business. And with Shindig, he's creating an incredible new way how video is used. I started by asking him about his early life and anything that inclined him to be an entrepreneur. Thank you for having me. Really a pleasure. Yes, I grew up, fortunately, in a family of entrepreneurs. And the family business was, in fact, uh, initially called Two Plus Three because it was two parents and three kids. And my father had started and failed at a handful of different businesses and gone back and forth between trying to start a business and then having to go back uh, sheepishly to a, a real job and then setting out on his own again until one finally stuck and blossomed. And that that company now run by my mother and brother, celebrated its 50th anniversary uh, two or three years ago. So I did have that uh, growing up. It was not just that I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. I think even more than the role model of, of my parents in wanting to be creative and control their own destiny and have, uh, have that outlet was the fact that they made me work. So from a very early age, whether it was packing boxes in the warehouse, sticking on labels, uh, correcting invoices, sending out mailers. I eventually, I got as a young teenager, this huge skill set of going to trade shows, manning a booth, selling, taking orders, whatever, all the micro tasks that go into running a business. And I think it was that as much as the dinner conversation about the higher level business strategy decisions, it was knowing the ins and outs and mechanics of doing business that uh, that combination gave me the confidence to feel like, gee, I could pursue my own business idea. And I wonder if the learning from that is, I think right now, the fact that all this is available on YouTube, the fact that someone who's really wants to self-educate is uh, A, a great benefit to society and uh, part of the reason why we're seeing this great golden age of entrepreneurship. Yeah. What type of business was it in any case? uh... It started out, the company made the inflatable bottles and inflatable furniture circa 1967, 68. That was in all what they call the head shops. And uh, it blossomed into what is now a very large and prominent 
uh, housewares, gifts, and accessories company called Two's Company. They got rid of the three kids. <laughs> you know, it's incredible. You know, you talked about your father and seeing him try and start and then go do it again. And then try when you saw that and thinking back, do you find or did, do you think that that was kind of your learning about resiliency and, and what it takes to be an entrepreneur? No, resilience is um, something I think that is very hard earned. There's no way to really uh, avoid the pain that comes with it. It really, uh, you have to go through it and fight your way through. Now, I think having a sense that there's a, a rainbow at the end, that there's a possibility, that thing of hope to drive you through and that that also that fear that that or that sense of never you can never accept failure that is uh, i think comes from your character and how and uh, but i don't think it's as easy as hey you're just anointed with it and uh, or you've seen a lot of resilience you can hear all the stories of the yeah. world nothing really prepares you for when you are in the saddle and and living the roller coaster ride of being an entrepreneur. The only thing that perhaps makes it easier is knowing that all those fairy tale stories are either illusions or really <laughs> the exception. That uh, most businesses are, are just not a straight line. Yeah, I, I love how you talked about having to go through and, you know, from the beginning and learning. I personally have, having uh, started a couple of businesses as well non-funded that I really had to learn from each little thing, whether it was invoicing or trade shows. And I really find, I'm curious if you do, when you do get that experience and you know kind of every little thing you need to do in every step of the way, if that becomes really helpful, regardless of the business you're in. I'm not sure I follow, follow the the question, meaning that if you're having to have to do all those small things, having to do all of those things that, you know, instead of being nowadays, people go, they'll raise millions of dollars, but may, may not have done every little aspect of a job. Don't know how it, how to send an invoice or don't know. Do you find that you having had to have gone through that really helped you as an entrepreneur? Well, I don't want to create the, the misapprehension that I'm suggesting that knowing that means you know how to do it well, or you're an expert in it, or you or you know, it's more that just not having it be mysterious, knowing that, okay, this is an understandable process problem. It has, I can find people who can do this. It's not that you don't delegate or defer to experts. It's just taking away the mystery so you know, okay, I can digest this, I can compartmentalize it, I can uh, comprehend it. That makes it a little bit less intimidating. So I think that is uh, does help. Uh, and it did help me at, at critical junctures to, uh, to not be afraid. I also think to a certain extent, ignorance is can be a great blessing because I think very often the best entrepreneurial ideas come from not falling victim to the fears that have everyone who are experts have identified and say, oh, you can't overcome this or you can't overcome this obstacle and this obstacle is insurmountable and you could never disrupt X, Y, Z. And so having a certain degree of ignorance or healthy skepticism or lack of expertise sometimes is a great blessing. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you with that. And sometimes when I look back and think if I know 
I knew then what I know now, I, I may not never have done something. And also all of the people along the way who've said this never could be done. I mean, we'd be living in a world with a lot less businesses and technology. And, you know, in any case, it, it's a great point. I want to hit on one of the entrepreneurial event. If I could illustrate that, you know, I went into the music business. I had no background really in music or popular music. I was a fan of jazz. I had managed a jazz pianist and I was a fan of uh, jazz and classical. I had no real background and didn't follow popular music at all. And still I ended up being pretty successful at discovering a number of iconic artists. Likewise, now I run a tech firm. I never knew anything about programming or anything else. We now put out technology that's better than Microsoft and Zoom and half a dozen other major tech companies and own a bunch of patents around it. And uh, but I did, you know, I'm among the tech entrepreneurs who never knew how to code, which I don't think is a small number. No. Tell us about that, you know, starting with Obviously, you made a mark in the music business with TVT. And just give, if you can just give kind of like you just brought up how you jumped into that, not really knowing the business, if you can give us the background of how you started, how you got involved, and then just so many of these incredible artists that you work with, I think 25 gold, platinum and multi-platinum albums. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible, but, but tell me how did it all start and how did it fall into place? Well, it started in the most unlikely way with a, a compilation record of old TV themes, which was really informed by, you know, as I told you about the family business, by the history of pop art that I had kind of lived through and kind of was uh, very sensitive to kind of pop culture. And so that was kind of a very natural project to work on. And it was a huge worldwide success. And TVT grew out of that because in learning about the music business through the success of television's greatest hits, I learned analytically, I had this perception that, boy, the music business is ripe for disruption. Computers are about to come in uh, to really change the way the business is done. And a lot of the advantages of major labels were soon to be, in many respects, disadvantages. The biggest one being identifying talent that's out of the norm really involves the opposite of groupthink. And when you have organizations, they naturally develop a culture and a groupthink and a consensus. And it makes it very, very difficult for them to spot new trends until they're kind of in their face and somebody else says, I've proven it. Uh, that's true, not just in music. It's unfortunately just as true in tech. You know, you have companies like Facebook and what have you there. They only want to buy 100 million, 200 million, five, you know, billion dollar companies. They don't want to really innovate from the ground, uh, from the get-go. They want to prove it. So knowing that weakness of the majors, I really look to find stars in the firmament and did it by uh, really, TVT was unique. Every other independent label before TVT was really based on a founder's own familiarity with a certain genre of music, or maybe they had one star and that star attracted a bunch of other similar artists. And then those artists had to compete within that genre with the major star. Since TVT was always very much a strategic label, we sought to find stars 
that defined a genre and that were didn't have to compete within the label for attention. Each artist was its own brand and its own project, its own business line. And that's how we were able to go from successes as different as Nine Inch Nails to Ja Rule, as Pitbull to Little John, as Stephen Sondheim and, yeah. and Snoop Dogg, all of whom we had huge successes with. Yeah, and how did that, how was TVT and, and how was the impact of the digitization of music, let's say, starting with Napster, how did that play within your business? And, and did you look at that as an opportunity or was that something just like other labels that very fearful of it at the time? It's a very, very long conversation, but the major labels and major publishers really blew it. Looking at the digital world as an enemy, now they're finally reaping the benefit. But the 20-year in-between was totally unnecessary. And by all rights, rather than Spotify and Pandora and all these other entities existing between the labels and the fans, the labels themselves might have been able to do this and everyone, the artists and the labels, uh, all would be uh, getting a better experience and, and more revenue without uh, an additional middleman. And quite honestly, I think even with the current middlemen that we currently have, the real opportunity to monetize music has not yet been exploited. And I think that goes for the real opportunity for content owners generally to uh, reap the benefits and to add value is still not being uh, fully realized in the current structures of distribution. Well, you mentioned content, and I want to talk about Shindig, the business that you founded and have been running. And if you can give us a little bit of background on the business and what made you really start it? Well, it's interesting. After I sold TVT, I began looking at online experiences. And Mark Zuckerberg is all excited about the metaverse. When I started looking at this, it was uh, in the wake of billions of dollars having been thrown at uh, Second Life and other virtual worlds on which people were going to interact. And all of these virtual worlds, there were a dozen of them that were very, very well funded, failed. And I tried to unravel why did these virtual worlds fail? And why when Skype and others added video was were no one turning on their camera? And what I came to realize was that I was at a TED talk and I heard a speaker addressing workplace rules. And they said, control over your autonomy or, or autonomy over where you direct your attention is a fundamental right. And anyone who interferes with that does so at their peril. And the light bulb went off. And it said, the reason why people hate these group video chats and don't turn on their cameras is they feel it very alienating, that experience of everyone staring at one another in those Brady Bunch grids. And I'm not talking. Why is everyone staring at me? Or who's talking? I can't tell. So I recognize that that Brady Bunch grid that defined group video chat was very inadequate. And it was possible to design something different. So what Shindig enables is people to be in a large virtual experience. Someone can take the stage, address everyone, but the participants can also privately chat with one another. They can click on one another and be in private conversations. So all the interactivity that the metaverse promises 
we already enable on Shindig, where you can have a thousand people come to a talk. They can all engage in private conversations and pre-meeting and socialize and mingle. And then the speaker can dim the house lights and ask the audience to come to order and give their presentation, bring people from the audience up into the stage to take their questions. And then and then afterwards, go out, take off, get off the stage and mingle again with all the attendees. So this is a whole different level of engagement. All the other technologies are really one audio channel and mute and unmute is the nature of engagement. That works great for four people or six people. But when you have 40 people or 60 people, it's for the birds. So we're really a technology that deals with large-scale engagement. More from our guests, but first, a word from our sponsors. Are you constantly finding yourself with 50 tabs open a day, hopping between tools just to do your job? Notion is the most customizable tool that helps teams organize information, manage projects, and get more work done together, all in one place. More than 70% of teams that use Notion stop using two or more tools because they didn't need them anymore. With powerful integrations, an API, and seamless navigation, you'll have everything you need in one one spot so you can make speed your advantage without the silos and context switching that slow companies down. Plus, Notion has a worldwide network of millions of users, creating templates, tutorials, and new inspiration. The product is getting better all the time, and you'll always have the support you need. Learn more and get started for free at notion.com slash how success happens. That's notion.com slash how success happens to help you take the first step toward an organized, happier team today. And our next sponsor. By now, you've probably heard all about cryptocurrencies. You might even already be investing in them. But did you know that you can invest in cryptocurrencies through your retirement account? That's right. With iTrust Capital, you can buy and sell cryptocurrencies from a crypto IRA and get all the same tax advantages as a traditional IRA. iTrust Capital allows you to invest in over two dozen of the most popular cryptocurrencies. And unlike the stock market, you can buy and sell 24 hours a day. The iTrust Capital platform is easy to use and it only takes a few minutes to create your account. Setting up an IRA is free and iTrust has no account fees and no monthly fees. It's time to start taking control of your financial future. With iTrust Capital, you can get all the tax benefits of a retirement account while investing in crypto. Sign up today and receive a $100 funding bonus when you open and fund an account. Visit itrust.capital/hsh to start investing today. That's itrust.capital/hsh H. Taxes and conditions apply. Fees apply. Cryptocurrencies are a speculative investment with risk of loss. iTrust Capital Inc. does not provide legal investment or tax advice. Consult with a qualified legal investment or tax professional. And we're back. And with your technology, is it Shindig's technology and then you license it out to individuals, companies, or who might be doing conferences or events, or is it really something that you offer for free? How does it work and how's the revenue model? So companies usually sign up and, you know, we have a who's who of clients from the first lady 
to Sheryl Sandberg, who used, used it for Lean Ins, uh, from Rihanna, who did a virtual pride celebration where she invited 4,000 fans to state democratic parties who have done whole conventions with thousands of delegates caucusing and voting and what have you. We've done events from Amazon to Salesforce, from Accenture to SAP, you know, a who's who of, of clients. So people sign up and get a subscription and then they're off to the races and they're using it for internal events, external events, better webinars where they're able to actually progress from just a presentation to closing deals and having their salespeople follow up individually with clients. That's a big use case. We have a new product called Water Cooler, which allows uh, large companies to have kind of a virtual lounge for their hybrid teams to kind of have coffee breaks in and have all that informal dialogue that uh, they're missing by being hybrid. So innumerable use cases that cover the gamut across corporate America. What year did you, when you first started to really ramp up and get going, what what year was, was that? Well, you talk about resilience. We originally started around 2010 building on Flash and it took us five years to realize, you know, as Steve Jobs told us all, that Flash was never up to the task. But that was five painful years of trying to get Flash to work at scale. Another couple of years of waiting till WebRTC became adopted until 2000, really until 2019, where because WebRTC was adopted by Microsoft and Apple and Safari and, and uh, Edge, that we could deploy something that was just in the browser or in a mobile app and that was universally accessible to everyone. So it was eight years of struggle. And then the pandemic comes, right? And all of a sudden, you start seeing the Zooms of the world. You start seeing every single experiential company trying to come up with their own platforms, build platforms to do events. You had started this 10 years prior. Was the pandemic a time where you grew the business? I'm sure new competitors were coming in. What? Give me a feel for the last couple of years with Shindig. Well, we've grown tremendously and we have any number of you know huge high profile clients. It remains a, a buyer beware marketplace because we also have innumerable competitors, all who claim to do networking and sophisticated production, but are really all different versions of the same technology, all built on the same backend servers. So they're really API companies built on somebody else's video chat. And that video chat is, again, that model of hub and spoke, you know, one to many uh, the real flavor, you know, the, the only real ability is mute or unmute. And it doesn't really allow what we call work the room networking or sophisticated production. But we have, you know, people who will think, oh, doesn't Zoom and, and Teams offer us breakout rooms? Well, breakout rooms are isolated and fixed and all the same time and, and you lose connection with the rest of the event. It's a bad workaround to them not having our technology which is the only technology that allows people in a virtual event to talk to whom they want, when they want, for how long they want. You can't do business when you're talking in front of strangers or you can't exclude people from your conversation because they've been thrown into your breakout. That's good in the abstract, but the reality is to have an uninhibited conversation, you want to edit 
okay, I'm going to talk to these people and only these people and not these other people who are going to overhear. And we're the only technology that allows just that. Talk to who you want, when you want, for as long as you want, then go back to the main event and interact with, you know, whomever. It allows you to move conversation to conversation within an event. So it's a completely different experience. Now, thank goodness for our competitors having gotten everyone to realize their cameras work (laughs) (laughs) and to realize how much is achievable virtually. But now that they know how to do their four-person meeting and their five-person meeting, now when they now they now have the luxury uh, they know how to do what's essential now they have the luxury of saying hey this is working great how do i now cut that cost that used to go to flying around the country to those you know hugely expensive in person meetings that are now no longer necessary how do i now follow through on on the efficiency that hybrid offers by making large-scale events equally virtual. Yeah. You know, you saw what was coming when the music business and you were way ahead of your time with Shindig going back to 2010. Where do you see, and you you just talked about the innovation of new products, water cooler product, which sounds really, really interesting. Where do you see the growth within what's going on right now within the video uh, business and technology business? I think virtual events are going to transform the waterfront. I mean, from virtual, from online dating to recruitment, from education to webinars. I mean, there are very few areas of activity that I don't see virtual events impacting. I'm not a fan of Web3 for whatever reason. I don't know what your listeners think of it, but I do think virtual events is is really profound. The way I like to think of it, the first generation of the internet made information frictionless. Virtual events now makes convenings and joint activities frictionless. I think those two things are equally profound, making joint large-scale participatory activities across the board, from social to business, from every sector of society, from political organizing to gaming, but whatever sector. In fact, gaming is probably the most advanced, but I don't think the answer is the virtual world that gaming lives in. I think What people want is authenticity, and authenticity comes from video, not from making your avatar better and not from putting on a helmet to further make you feel that much more removed from the people you're trying to engage with. You want to make technology disappear, and that's not by putting on gear, even if that gear is lightweight. It's by this experience that you and I have are having right now in video and that leap of imagination that allows me to focus on you because you're reacting as if you're right uh, across the table from me. Yeah, no, such a great point where everyone's looking towards that as opposed to where you said it earlier before, where it's frictionless and it's just you find that you're in the moment, in that virtual moment, not even realizing it. And that's really where I think just being, you know, the average human or person who interacts, that's what I want. You know, with Shindig and and looking at it and companies, it seems to me like there's really no industry, no area that what you've built can't be used. Like you talked about political fundraisers, conferences, and then, and then there's probably thousands I'm not even thinking of, but 
how do you focus? Is the business focused in just certain sectors or is it, are you focusing it on different areas and, and going after different areas? It's a really interesting challenge and question. We've chosen to focus on early adopters because technology is only half the battle. Being a great host, like being a great podcast host, takes skill. It took a long time for podcasting to take hold. The technology was there, but the great hosts and the great creatives weren't there. We built the technology for convening large groups of people. Whether that's going to be most, whether that's going to be grabbed by a movement, a politician, a guru, an education platform, whether Spotify is going to start an artist fan events or LinkedIn is going to do recruitment events or whatever company is going to see that vision of how they can engage with their audience more in a more powerful way and create new revenue streams. It's up to the the users to meet us halfway. So we're reaching out wherever we can to early adopters and visionaries in each field. And most importantly, entrepreneurs in each field who are, you know, be they in-house or out of house, who really can see that future world. So that's, you know, we're, we have great clients across in every vertical imaginable. Yeah, no, it's such a great point that you have the technology and these companies are going to figure out ways in which they use it. And really that's going to be, that's going to be the key each, each understanding their own business. But it just seems to me that it can be used in everything we were talking before off air, just about podcasting, right. And the ability to host a podcast, to do a podcast and actually then potentially have a talk back after when you're tape, if we're taping this right now with fans of how success happens or, or fans of Steve Gottlieb, whoever's tuned in, right? Like that type of technology, and especially in podcasting, where we're noticing the technology and people listening more so now to video podcasts, right? So like, I see it right there as that's a huge opportunity. Yeah. And, um, and likewise, also, also podcast, you know, deeper dives. If you've done when you focus attention on the latest episode, a podcaster might do a deeper dive where they uh, follow on discussion and, and what have you. And they're uh, just like they do the tours. They might also do different fa- super fan events. Yeah. You know, I want to ask you and in, in just in the few minutes left, you know, you talked about you've always seemed to be ahead of your time and talked about starting this in 2010 and going through a lot of years of learning was I'm sure there are times you were just like, maybe this isn't going to work or maybe you didn't. But I know you faced immeasurable challenges. What kept you going? I think when, you know, part of being an entrepreneur, the flip side of it is that you find an idea, you know, you can't be an entrepreneur just to be an entrepreneur. You have to have the idea that is not just an idea to make money. It has to be something that you're super passionate about because of its impact in the world. I think if you're in it, you know, oh, I have this idea, I'm going to make some money and I'll flip it. That's great. But that's not what I think informs the most successful entrepreneurs. Yeah. You have to believe that what you're do, doing has some si- significance well beyond any financial reward. And that's what keeps me going through all the ups and downs. And we've had huge ups and downs. We had a major, uh, the benefit of a major investor 
who kind of underwrote us with an awful big investment, and then he passed away. We had a number of other, you know, big shocks to the system along the way. Sure. Um, but my belief that what we're doing is super important for society is going to unleash this tremendous benefit. You know, we have this big social agenda. A lot of people recognize now that Zoom University and Zoom class really failed the students of America. Hopefully our technology, which allows a teacher to go circulate around the class uh, and go from the front of the class to giving private individualized attention, now we'll get, you know, more attention, get adopted and show that we don't have virtual learning and education can, in fact, be as effective as in-person. So I believe that we have, you know, very important applications that go beyond just making money for society. And it's that belief that what I'm involved with touches the rest of the world and that keeps me going. Yeah. And, and just I mean, I feel your excitement about it. It's incredible. And just what you just talked about with the whole Zoom experience and now having a technology where let's say there we live here in New York, there's a snow day and there's the ability where you really can have a classroom where where kids aren't just Zoom, where there is that interactivity. That's just one way your technology can can really help the world. I'm sh- I'm sure there's so many others. And for you and 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 for the business, and it it does seem to me like you're enjoying it. And this is a tough question, but like, where would you like to see it in a couple of years? And where do you want to see Shindig as opposed to where it is right now? Well, in part because of the the potential to service all of education and all these other verticals. I'm not an operator of a gazillion dollar company. I'm happy. And there are people who are better than that, a great idea person. So I would say if our technology ended up being acquired by a Google or an Apple or by a foundation that was able to roll it out for free in certain areas based on the profits of its more commercial applications, you know, I'd be delighted. And if we're a standalone company when I'm able to raise the finances and become a huge, you know, public uh, uh, tech company, great too. But I don't think a lot about that. I am day to day just in love with the vision and growing it and uh, know that you're not in control of those scripts and having a sense of that is doesn't really advantage you in any way. Yeah, I love uh, that. Understanding that those things, it's, it's hard when people think I'm going to start and then we're going to do this and you're doing it, you're building the process and the things you can't control, so to speak, to start you're focused on your business. Those will come and those opportunities, of course, will come as they've come for you plenty of times throughout your career. But that's another great piece of advice that you still got to, you know, mind the shop and still got to create the product and make it better. And especially in the business you're in, where I would imagine each day there's people, like you said, trying or saying they're coming out with new technologies. And like you said, you're staying ahead of it with different products. So it sounds like uh, you're on the right path for continued success. Well, thank you. Thank you. But it's actually quite shocking to me. You know, we have any number of people infringing our patents, but I'm actually quite surprised that uh, we don't have more in a way. But as we were discussing, no different than with music. Disruption happens for a reason. Big entities are slow to innovate. They're slow to recognize the deficits, what they're currently offering, which seems to be working fine. And uh, they're slow to hear 
you know, any kind of dissatisfaction uh, from their their customers. And they're slow even to reach out to their customers and really hear how how things could be improved. So that kind of that's an important lesson for entrepreneurs to really take on board that the reason why those opportunities exist is because of that. And they need to dig in and, and go for them because no one else is going to do it if they don't. Last question for you before I let you go. Are there times you miss the day in and day out of, of the music business? Yeah, there, there is nothing, nothing like music in terms of that immediacy, discovering an artist, working with them, helping them make uh, that record and watching it explode. And it can happen over such a short period of time. Fortunately, the tech world, if there's anything at all similar, it's technology. Yeah. But even that is, you know, people react to passion. And once you enter, you move out of that world of people uh, of passion and are offering a product in business and, and people are assessing its benefits, you're already kind of uh, much slower in the adoption cycle and, and the degree to, to watch that kind of go viral, as it were. So yes, being in a passion business is more exciting, but I certainly love what I'm doing now. Yeah, it, and it sounds like it. And Steve, thanks for joining us today. That was a really great conversation and inspirational and um, appreciate your time and best of luck you know, with the business. I, I can only imagine the opportunities and the things that are going to come up with what you're doing in, in today's world. So best of luck. Well, thank you. And I hope all your, uh, all those people out there go check out shindig.com and uh, check us out and uh, uh, think about how they could do their virtual events uh, uh, better. You got I it. really appreciate your time, Robert. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.